Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on the historic events that have taken place in our nation's capital over the past week, the policy implications of a Democratic-controlled Congress, an update on COVID-19 vaccine deployment, and more. So I am excited to be joined today by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy based in Washington, D.C., for our first Washington Weekly Podcast of 2021. So Shane, it's great to be with you today. Hope you had some nice downtime to enjoy with your family over the holidays. Happy New Year and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to everyone listening. I hope everyone is remaining safe and uh, I hope uh, we have an excellent 2021. Absolutely. So, uh, Shane, I know we are coming to the close of what has been a historically turbulent week in Washington, D.C., curious as to what the fallout has been from Wednesday's riot, what that consisted of, what we've been hearing domestically as well as from foreign governments, and what the response from the White House has consisted of. I know it's been quite a week down in Washington. Yeah, there's just so much going on after this uh, historic week, and I'm sure it's a week that none of us will ever forget. And I hope people do remember it. Um, if you care about our country, I hope this is always in the back of your mind. Um, and, and you'll see that we, we rise from it and that our country is uh, strong. Um, you know, there is so much going on here. I think on the domestic front, you're seeing we've seen two cabinet officials uh, announce their resignation. We've seen multiple uh, senior officials from the administration re- renounce their administration, uh, re- excuse me, announce their resignation. We've seen many former administration officials come out and denounce uh, President Trump and the actions of those who participated in the uh, insurrection into the Capitol. So there's a lot going on there. Um, I think there's more to come. On the foreign side, you've seen, uh, you know, China, Iran and, and Russia essentially mock the United States. Um, you've seen uh, other allies of the U.S., you know, um, you know, very concerned about what's happened and the future of our country. You know, um, as far as the administration, you've seen them uh, try to pivot. Um, yesterday, President Trump released about a two minute uh, video clip saying that, you know, uh, he will now help the new administration in the transition uh, before the inauguration on January 20th. Um, but, you know, there's more to come here. You're seeing lawmakers still grapple with what to do next, you know, from everything from um, the security on Capitol Hill and what went wrong there to uh, possibly impeaching the president for the second time. And um, I think you're seeing some Republicans in the Senate contemplate if they would vote to convict and and remove the president. Obviously, you know, we're less than two weeks from the inauguration. Um, so could this happen quick enough? Uh, that he would actually be removed remain to be seen. But um, it's going to be something I think we'll probably talk about next week. 
Absolutely. Well, the fallout has been overwhelming, as you pointed out. Many moving parts, a lot to keep track of. So thank you for recapping it for us, Shane. And we will indeed follow up on this conversation next week, though. It was encouraging to see how, despite what occurred on Wednesday, that on late Wednesday night, Congress did indeed certify the Electoral College votes to pave the way for President-elect Joe Biden to be inaugurated in less than two weeks. So democracy prevailed. I'm curious, Shane, what have we heard from the office of the president-elect? How has Joe Biden responded to this week's event? And has the Biden cabinet, the administration, has that filled out further since we last spoke? Yeah, no, thank you, Dan. Great question. You know, first, I'd like to say, you know, this is something we've talked about uh, for the past few weeks and months now, which is the transition um, is, you know, in place, you know, and we saw that uh, continued with the certification of uh, ballots. And, you know, I think as we talk about, you know, this is, this was, uh, essentially inevitable that this would happen. That, and when I say this would happen, I mean the electoral votes would be certified and, uh, President elect Biden, um, would be certified as President elect. Um, and his, um, team has, has continued, as we saw this week, and, um, to get themselves prepared. A few cabinet announcements were made were made this week, uh, starting with Merrick Garland, who uh, some of you may remember. He was actually President Obama's pick for the Supreme Court, and that did not advance. Um, but now um, uh, President-elect Biden has uh, uh, appointed him for attorney general, um, and I think that the Senate will probably approve him in due time. Um the Biden uh, team has also nominated uh, May- Boston Mayor Walsh to the Department of Labor and Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo uh, for the Secretary of Commerce. Um, and Mar- uh, Gov- uh, Mayor Walsh, is uh, uh, he was in uh, labor union previously, so he knows labor unions. Um, he's worked with them in the past. Uh, so that is a somewhat logical pick, especially knowing the Biden-Walsh uh, uh, relationship over the years. Uh, Gina Raimondo, the governor of Rhode is a very interesting pick. I think, um, you know, she's been a um, um, a different kind of Democrat uh, that we've seen in recent history. She wasn't afraid to take on um, labor and, you know, push hard to uh, rework the pension system in Rhode Island to try and make it more solvent. Um, that may get some pushbacks from progressives. Uh, so it's something I think I'll definitely be interesting to see to see how she's received by Senate Democrats in the coming days and weeks. Yep, it will be interesting to see how these confirmations, how those processes go. So thank you for bringing us up to speed on what we've heard about since we've last spoke with respect to some of these appointments and nominations. Maybe, Shane, to close the loop on the Georgia runoff elections, highly anticipated. We spent many of weeks talking about this leading up to these elections during the latter part of 2020. I know the Democrats were able to achieve victories in both races. I went to bed that evening, maybe around 10, 1030 Eastern at that point. Uh, Purdue and Loeffler were maybe ahead by a point, point and a half. But overnight, of course, the tide turned. So now that results in the Democrats having control of the U.S. Senate. So I'm curious, Shane, based on that, what will the policy priorities consist of and what kinds of policies that have been proposed or talked about might not come to fruition? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I'm jealous that you got to bed so early. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I stayed up a, a little bit later, not much later, but um, when I saw results coming in and what was outstanding for results to come in, it looked like it was heading in the direction that we ended up with, with which is um, both Democrats being elected. Um Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, uh, who will be new senators from Georgia. And that absolutely changes the direction of the Senate for the next two years. Um, even though it is the slightest of majorities um, with Vice President-elect Harris going to be the tie-breaking vote, they still control the agenda. They control what bills come to the floor. Um, their uh, senators, the Democratic senators, will be the chairman and chairwomen of the committees and decide what hearings and legislation to pursue. Um, so this is uh, a big change. And, you know, I think the the first, second, and third order of business will really be COVID and COVID-related, whether it's um, how do we make sure there's more vaccine distribution to what economic stimulus is needed. I think that will be kind of the immediate need. Um, but also, you know, uh, as we were just talking about the co- cabinet nominations, that takes a lot of time for the Senate to approve all of them. So that will be, you know, a big Q1 effort. And I think the difference there is, you know, you, you'll see, you'll still see possibly one or two of the cabinet um, appointees rejected, but it won't be as drawn out as if um, Senate Republicans um, control the process. Um, additionally, you know, you're going to see uh, like I said, more stimulus. Democrats have committed to probably doing additional stimulus checks to Americans, um, which is will still require Republican votes. And I think they'll get a few. I don't know if they'll get enough to get over the finish line. So that's something we're going to watch how it develops. Uh, from there, you know, you're going to have big debates on things like uh, the Green New Deal. I don't expect the Green New Deal to become law, but I think you'll see a parts initiatives within it uh, be debated. Um, something on health care. I think infrastructure will be uh, an important issue this year, but that will probably be um, a little bit later this year. And of course, the big one, potential for tax increases to pay for some of these new spending initiatives. Um, with such a narrow uh, majority in both the House and Senate, I think it's going to be, a, uh, if there is a tax increase, it'll be much narrower than discussed at, uh, in 2020 and not as far-reaching as some of uh, some Democrats have uh, espoused and hoped for. Well, between confirmations, legislation, and the stimulus efforts, Congress will indeed have its hands full over the next few months. And these policy debates that you outlined for us, Shane, uh, they will be fascinating to track. So more to come there. Last but certainly not least, I do want to check in on the deployment of COVID-19 vaccines. Again, a lot of good news heading into the back end of last year, a lot of momentum building over deployment of these vaccines. And it sounds like more vaccines might come to fruition in the not-so-distant future. But as of today, Shane, where do we stand with respect to deployment and are the vaccine targets, those goals, are they being met? Unfortunately, the the target's goals are not being met. I think the latest figures I saw was about uh, 6 million doses have been administered, um, which is less than 2% of the American population. And I think you see governors and other officials move to try and figure out what they need to do to make sure that um, the vaccine is being distributed uh, quicker. 
Um, you know, just uh, this week I saw the governor of Maryland uh, retool the plan of who was eligible because um, a lot of Americans are confused at this moment of when they're eligible to get the shot. So I think you're going to see some changes in the next coming weeks that will hopefully um, smooth out the process and get more people vaccinated. And, but you got to remember, we're, we're less than a month into the vaccine being, you know, available for Americans. And as you mentioned, I think there are more vaccines on the way. Um, the next one uh, is, I think, AstraZeneca, um, which uh, FDA, it sounds like, could approve it in April. And this is, while April sounds far away, I think the good news here is that um, this one is easier to distribute because it doesn't need to be uh, kept at such cold temperatures as the Moderna or Pfizer drug. So that should help um, distribution. So I think there's positives uh, coming up hopefully in the vaccine distribution. Um, and, you know, as I said, officials are adjusting their game plan, you know, just like in a football game, you know, the coaches adjust their game plan mid game. And hopefully um, these adjustments will make a real difference in the coming weeks. Absolutely. Well, it's a huge logistical undertaking, but it's very positive that this is underway and encouraging to hear that as we make our way further into the first half of this year, more and more Americans will be vaccinated. But Shane, thank you for your time and insight today. Very much appreciate your reflections and takeaways on what has been a very historic week, as well as your insights into what the path forward for policy might look like. So looking forward to picking back up on our conversation next week. Great. Thank you, Dan. Take care, everyone. Have a safe weekend. Thank you, Shane. And likewise, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly Publication directly. The Washington Weekly Podcast is part of the UBS In The Now Podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.